understood what we're talking about today. I might just leave that there because <laughs> I can't figure out I can't figure out how to get it off. So we'll just leave it. Um, and so I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping that you've realized already that we're talking today about love. And so let's start with love, says John in his first epistle. Uh, one of the things that I realized as a child is I didn't really experience love. Now hear me right. My mother was a very loving mother. I was raised in a home with my grandmother and my uncles and my aunts around and my cousins and there was love around. I didn't feel loved. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because Pastor Sheila, even being a counselor, and those that do counseling will say to you that feelings are important. And, and so men, not just men, but men, when your wife says, I don't feel loved, that's a real issue. Because what usually happens is men will say, well, she knows that I love her. And, uh, and, and so that was my, that was my background. I, I just didn't feel it. No matter, no matter what was said or what was done around me, I didn't feel love. Now, there's probably a lot of deep issues there, probably a lot of things deep down in my psyche that that's the reason for that happening. Uh, but I just want to start today with that premise that I didn't feel loved. Now, I, I, whenever I go to speak about love from the Bible, this song comes back to me, and you'll laugh at it when I say it, because it's an old Tina Turner song. How many are around that still know Tina Turner? She's still alive, yeah. <laughs> I haven't been listening to her lately, but what's love got to do, got to do, got to do with it? <laughs> And, and so, you know, I was just thinking, I can even see the video when that came out. She was, she was not so young when she did that video, and I think that's why a lot of people were surprised about that. Why do I bring that up? Because John would say to you today and would say to the church, love has everything to do with it. Everything. And, and we see today in this passage, this love letter, <clears throat> that whole first epistle of John, what is his subject matter? We know what his subject matter is because he uses that word over and over and over again. And our passage today, it's even mentioned 20 times that he's trying to say, what's that word? You've heard it, those that have been in the church any time around the church, that the Greeks had many words for love, but agape was that particular word that was used for God's love. It's different than the world's love. And see, we fall into a problem here because we love our puppies <laughs> and we love our new outfit, and God says, now love people. And, and we can lose sight of how profound this love is that we're talking about here. So this is why I think before we get further into the scripture, we need to back up a bit and remind ourselves when we read a passage like this, we are not talking about that warm, fuzzy love. We are talking about this genuine agape love of God that's the highest form of love that is selfless, sacrificial, and unconditional. And it persists, I love that word, persists no matter the circumstance. That's the love of God. 
You know, it's, it's interesting because we need to see in this passage that Jesus is agape personified in the flesh. And, and, and so as we look at this passage today, we realize that agape love is selfless and sacrificial and unconditional. And so, you know, we need to compare our love to God's love. Our love is conditional. As long as you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You think about that. It's unforgiving. Oh, you've, you've hurt me, so that's it. You're done. Like, I don't have any more relationship with you. It is a love that constantly takes, takes, and takes some more. And it's always about me, my wishes, my wants, me, me, me. That's human, fleshy love. And it is here today and gone tomorrow as we see in so many relationships today, here today and gone tomorrow. But God's love that John is talking about in his letter, and in particular our passage today, is different. God's love is unconditional. He loves you, period. Had nothing to do with your legacy and how many generations have been in this church and how many times you were dragged to Sunday school or camp. Has nothing to do with us. Has nothing to do with how you act or don't act or what you look like. It has nothing to do with it. God loves you, period. That's God's love. He loves you. Now, it doesn't mean he necessarily agrees with everything you're doing, but he loves you. It is a love that forgives. We know that because of the cross. It is a love that blesses. Do you ever, ever have that where you feel the Father just gives you things? Just blesses you with things? Because that's the love it is. It is a love that blesses. It is a love that is self-sacrificing. And it is a love that started from the beginning of time and will go on into eternity. That is God's love. That is agape. That's what John is talking about here. So now we can move on because we have on our mindset now what kind of love we're talking about here. And so the first thing we see is those verses 7 to 8, he talks about the power of God's love, the power of God's love. Now, I'm going to do this, and you're probably going to get tired of hearing the word, but I'm trying to get the emphasis through if you look there at verse 7, dear friends, let us agape one another, for agape comes from God, and everyone who agapes has been born of God and knows God. See, we need to put that word in there because that's what's in the original Greek. And, and when we think love, we can get into sentimentalism. This is not sentimentalism. This is concrete Love. See, love takes us beyond knowing about God. I was raised in the church. I was part of the Salvation Army Corps choir as a child. I, I heard all about that God loved me. I knew about, that's a good Canadian word, about, I knew about God's love but I had never experienced it. There's a big difference. Have you experienced 
God's love? Or have you just heard about it and know about it? See, there's a big difference about experiencing that love. And he says to us, it's knowing God and experiencing his love. We've been born of God. See, John's argument here is very clear. It is no good claiming that you know God, a God of love, and then have no love for anyone else. If your reaction, somebody said, if your reaction to those who offend you is one of opposition, rejection, instant antagonism, then it is no good saying that you belong to him. That is not God's life and that is not God's love, end quote. See, if the life of God is present in us, John is saying, there the love of God is too. You can't have the life of Christ in you through the Holy Spirit and not have the love of God. It doesn't work. He's saying it's, it's just not true. Love comes from God and leads us to God. And I want to challenge you this morning. Have you experienced God's love? Have you experienced it? Not that you know about it. Not that you've heard about it. But have you experienced it? Because God is that source of all love and then he says, I want you to think about now the essence of God, the nature of God, the characteristics of God. And, and, and I was thinking that, you know, if you just closed your eyes for a moment and I was to say to you, what does God look like to you? What does God look like? And I think about all those pictures I had as a child. John is saying, the first thing you should think of, and when you think of God, the nature of God, his characteristic is love. And if that's not what you think of first, then you need the Holy Spirit to do a work on your mind. Because the first characteristic we should see of God is love. Why does he say that? You see, it's so easy for us to, uh, there are many, and this has been a heresy that's gone on in the church since the beginning of time. This is that emphasis that Pastor Mike has been trying to bring out, and we're trying to talk about. There is this movement that says Jesus is love. God is an angry, wrathful judge. But Jesus, Jesus is love. Our God is not schizophrenic. Who do you think sent Jesus in the first place? Who do you think didn't throw Adam and Eve and destroy them then and start over, but in his grace he sent them out, and from the beginning of time he's had a plan of salvation for you and me. It has been the God of love. Yes, he's also judge, and there will come a day when we all stand, and that judgment is coming, but we are still now in this moment under his grace and able to receive and experience his love. And so as you think of the characteristic of God, John is saying, as you think of his nature, it is love, this agape, that doesn't even make sense to us. And that's who God is. And so he tells us about the power of God, that God is love, and this is his very essence. And then he goes on to paint us a picture. You want to see love? You want me to paint you a picture of love? 
He says, God, love has been manifested in Jesus. It is the greatest symbol of love that we have ever seen. That is why on Christmas, it's not about sentimentalism and warm fuzzies when you see that babe in the manger. It is the greatest message. Well, the first message, but there's even a greater message of his love, uh, of looking that Christ took on our humanity and our flesh and became one of us. That is the love of God right there incarnate, laying in a, in a, a food trough amongst a, a simple couple. That's how much God loves us. That God took flesh on incarnate love. And so, you know, this is that portrait of love that John is trying to paint for us. He says this love is active and giving, life-giving. Look at verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. This is how God showed his agape among us. He sent, for God so loved the world, he gave, sent. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Jesus came that we might have life. He said that, that we might have life to the fullest. See, there's a difference in our world when you just merely exist, when you're just getting by, when it's just one day after another day and it's just mere existence. That's not what Christ came for. Christ came that you might have life and live it to the fullest. That's his desire for you today. It's his desire, even in the midst of a pandemic, that even you may still have life into the fullest. Jesus gives us a reason to live. Jesus gave me a reason to live. See, our emotions and feelings can change all the time. It can be dependent upon our circumstances. It can be dependent upon our health and what's happening around us and not happening. But John is saying God is our standard for love. And that standard of love that's been demonstrated in Christ Jesus where God has given himself, that is the standard that we look to, not the standard of those around us in the church and those around us in the community. And that standard was willing to pay the ultimate price for you. That's how much God loves you. John says, look to Jesus. It is a love that holds nothing back. God gave sacrificially, and we didn't deserve it. None of us deserved it. He loved us while we were still sinners. You don't have to get your life all figured out. You don't have to live up to somebody's standards. You don't have to have it all your duckies in a row to come to Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> he loved us while we were still in the ugliness and the mess of sin. You won't find love like that anywhere else. Oh, somebody said, how angry we get when sometimes at the stubbornness and the insolence of others, the rudeness and the hate that is manifested towards us, it makes our blood boil and our tempers rise. Why? Well, there's a word for it. Evil. Evil does that. 
That is how ugly it is. Oh, the discussion we have in the church and within Christendom about all the evil we see around us. Well, the truth of it is every heart that has been born under the curse of Adam is in evil. Ugly. Sin. Hidden away, they think, from others. And hidden away sometimes even to ourselves how ugly our sin was. But God sees it all. God sees all of it. God sees the whole world of mankind, all their blatant ugliness and evil, the person said. And what is his response? Is it anger? Is it rejection? Is it judgment? Did he pour out the fires of wrath upon a world so repulsively ugly and evil as that? No. He responded with the most costly of all loves. He gave himself. He sent his son in the person of his son. God himself came and lived among us and died upon a cross of shame in the very world his hands had created and made. He came to satisfy justice, to pay the debt of our sin. John says it this way, an atoning sacrifice for our sins. What love is this? What love is this that paid so dearly? Wow. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that, of this love of God that has paid so dearly. John is saying, you want to see love today? Let me show you this portrait of love. Look at Jesus. Look at what he's done for you. That's love. That's God sending out his love towards you. I like that song that says, it is written in red. God's love for us. Then he says, now it's time to prove this love. I don't know where this statement comes from, but I keep going around saying the proof is in the pudding. Where did that come from? It's got to maybe be an old British, maybe it's a Newfie statement, I don't know. But the proof will be in the pudding. In other words, if it's really good, you're going to be able to taste it and see it. Right? It'll be proved. And that's what John is saying here. This love is lived out. It is perfected now in God's people. This love is deep and strong And God has loved us. And look at what verse 11 says. Dear friends, since God has agaped us, we also ought to agape others. See, verse 11 is the answer to lame excuses. Oh, I've heard a few. I've used a few. Well, you know, that person's just been so mean to me, or they were rude, or I just don't like being around them, or, or, or. And John is saying there are no excuses for those who are in Christ. Because if God has just revealed this love for us that is just so overwhelming and amazing, you can't go around making excuses for why you cannot show that love to someone else. If you have received 
If you have been a recipient of this agape, now it's expected of you to go and agape others. In other words, he's saying here, you know, it is not just a suggestion. (laughs) Somebody said, you know, the church today, the Christianity and the world want the ten suggestions, not the ten commandments. We want the ten suggestions, like as if it's optional. This is not an option here, an option. This is a command. That if you have received the love of God in your heart, then you are to demonstrate that love towards other people. If you have been to the cross, if you have knelt there, if you have felt the joy of having the weight of your sin lifted off you, if you've come up from that cross knowing that you are forgiven and it is forgotten and you've got a new fresh beginning, then God is saying if you've experienced all that, then you need to be that way towards other people so that they can experience it too. You owe it. That's the word that's used here, ought to. You owe it to love one another. Someone said it this way, Therefore, love is not to be only for those who are pleasant to us or who are nice to us and congenial towards us, clever people that we like. We are not to love because people are lovable, but because each is an another. Love one another. Everyone is one of God's another. Therefore, we are to love everyone. Jesus said, if you go around loving those who love you, what what good is that? (laughs) The world does that. We are to love the another. I loved the statement years ago, and I used to do it in ladies' retreats. There goes one of God's beloved. See, I look at people different when I see that. If I think about that, that even when I'm out around and I'm shocked by the speech on some people or, or the different things we see in the world around us today, if I look at them and pray for them and say, Lord, help me to see them as one of your beloved, I begin to treat them a little different. Because after all, I'm one of his beloved, and now he expects me to go around and treat others as his beloved. Hopefully I haven't lost you yet. Are you still with me? Coca-Cola. The real thing. Not Pepsi. That's our family slogan. We come to the island and the biggest issue that our Tina has, do you serve Coke? No. (laughs) We serve Pepsi. And they look at her like she's crazy. Isn't that good enough? And she'll says, I'll have a nice tea, thank you. <laughs> See, when they were small, our, our family got into Coca-Cola. Actually, the truth is, my stepfather, we were at a Chinese food restaurant. Tina was just a few months old, and she was starting to squawk. And my stepdad thought it would be a good idea to feed her teaspoons of Coca-Cola as a three-month-old. And I think that just ruined her there. At three months old, she please do not do this at home or anyone else. But that seemed to make her happy that day. She was as happy as could be. So, that little bit of Coca-Cola. Wow. Our family, it was Coca-Cola or nothing. 
Now, here we are missionaries at times, and we're also a poor pastor home on one salary, struggling. So guess what Mama decides to do? Mama goes out and buys the 88 cents a bottle of cola, right? Brings it home. That's good enough. It's cola. It says right on it. Can't you see it? Cola. 88 cents. Cheap. Well, nobody in our house would drink it because it was a poor imitation of the real thing. Why am I saying that? Oh, my friends, as the church of Jesus Christ, what have we been offering? What have we been offering as the love of God? Have we been offering a poor imitation? Or have we been offering the genuine agape love of God? Because the world and our family and those around us will know. Very quickly, they know. Somebody had said, don't offer a world that is hungry for genuine love of God. Don't offer them some shabby imitation of I love you to your face and behind your back I'm gossiping and I'm destroying you. Because they know it's not the real thing. And they go out the door as quick as they came in. John is saying here, God wants us to experience this genuine love of God and he wants us now to share that love with others. Verse 12 This love is made complete. What he's saying here is the goal, the ultimate goal of the love of God that has started from the beginning of time, that looked for that plan of salvation, that sent Christ into that Christmas morning that we celebrate, into that little manger that made him live and teach and die, that took him down into a cruel grave, our grave, that brought him up from that grave to the other side, hallelujah, that returned him to the Father and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the church was born. He says the ultimate goal of all that is what? Love one another. All of it. If we want to see God's love come to its completion, come to its goal, John says that is done when we agape one another. When we show that unconditional love to one another, that is when the love of God has come to its complete fulfillment. When we are living in that love. Verse 12, no one, I said it again, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete. There's that word, teleos, is made complete in us. No one has ever seen God, but if we agape one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Can you see electricity? Darndest thing, that stuff, eh? Electricians have it all figured out, but we can't really see electricity. What do you have to do to see it? Flip the switch. Praise God. There's elect- we know there's electricity because the light is on. huh? 
we see the result of it. The light is on. We flipped the switch. We gave freedom for that electricity now to run through the current up into these lights. So now we can see the effects of it and we can see the lights have come on. John is saying this agape of God is not seen unless we flip the switch. Unless we allow the power of the Holy Spirit to come and move in through us and we now become the light of Christ and bring that light to others. That's when you get to see God. That's when you get to see God's love. That is when it becomes visible. And so God's greatest evangelism strategy, and there's been so many evangelism strategies over the years, but God's evangelism strategy is simple. What is it? Love people. That's it. Love people. You want to win people for Christ. You want to win your kids for Christ, your grandkids for Christ. You want to win your neighbors for Christ. Well, then go agape them. Show them God's unconditional love. That is the greatest uh, evangelism tool that has been used for over 2,000 years. It is what touched my heart. It originally is what touched your heart, I hope and pray, is the love of God. And so it is our job to make his love visible. How is Elmsdale going to know the love of God? How's West Prince going to know the love of God? John would say, you and me, we're it. We're God's plan. There's no other plan. We're it. The church of Jesus Christ, not just the Nazarene church at the corner, but all churches of Jesus Christ... We're his plan. And so they will know who he is by the love that we show to one another in the church and those outside of the church. Why did I do this message today? And I'm going to keep hitting on this message from time to time. Our church board, and I'm going to be honest, our, our, our church board a few years back before COVID hit, we sat there and we had a a real meeting, not an imitation board meeting, a real meeting. I'm not saying that they're invitation, but there are those times when God shows up. And even when we went away and did our retreat and we were praying and thinking, and, and the question came up, where has the love gone? Where has the love gone? And, and we went through, I had asked at that retreat that they would envision and pray for a month or so before we got together. And what do you see in the years to come? What is God showing you? And we went down through this statement, and then we got together again in January, and, and we began to say, well, you know what? This is it, because there's no point to get to uh, four and five and six and seven and eight and nine, I think it was around nine of them, if we haven't got this down and figured out. And so we felt at that time, this is what God is calling us as the Elmsdale Church of the Nazarene for this season. And I would say we probably won't move on until we can say, yeah, there's something happening. See, we can do church. We can know about God. We can merely exist. This church has been here for over 100 years. God willing, it will be here for many more but is that what we're called to? Is that our calling? I believe this is beginning to touch on our calling. And praise God for the times and the ways that you have demonstrated his love. 
But this is our mission statement. This is what we're praying into. This is what we're asking God to help us. A loving and caring church who demonstrates God's love and compassion by coming alongside people in their need. I pray that resonates with you today. I pray that's something that you say, I want to be a part of this. And so I want to challenge you today as we've looked at this first epistle of John to realize that the greatest form of evangelism is love. There are many ways to evangelize. Giving the plan of salvation, yes, important. All of that is important. But my friends, if you don't say it with tears in your eyes and a broken heart, you've missed it. It's because we love people that we gather on a Wednesday night and get on our knees and pray for them. It is because we love people that we look for opportunities to help them in a place of grief and brokenness. It is because we love people that we collect food for the caring cupboard. It is because we love people that we do shoeboxes at Christmas that children around the world may know that God loves them. It is the very essence and the reason why we're here is the love of God. And it cannot be human love. It cannot be temporal. It has to be that love of God that is supernatural and can only come from him. The world is telling us right now, all around us, we're hearing from this pandemic the concerns of isolation and worries and anxiety and loneliness. And well, there's always been some form of loneliness, but it's getting heightened. It is getting worse. And there's a lot of troubled minds and thought about that. And there's a lot of discussion about that. But I want to tell you today, the community of faith where love abounds can become the very solution for what people are looking for today. And so as we see around us more and more people broken, more and more people isolated, more and more people crying for genuine, authentic, real love, it is time for the church to arise and say, we have the answer. Let me show you the love of Jesus, that you want to come and fall in love with the same Jesus that I fell in love with. That's how we make God visible. I'm going to ask someone to let Corinne know we're coming to a close. She's going to come up. Someone said this many years ago, and it always stayed with me. The opposite of love isn't hate. It's indifference. Think about that. See, if, if I was to ask you as a good Christian person, do you hate people? You would say to me, no, pastor. Christians don't hate people. We love people. We're not to hate anyone. But this person wisely said that the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. I just don't care. I, I see you on the side of the road, beaten and broken, but I decide to walk the other side because it's not my problem. I see you there bruised and broken and in need, but I'm just like, I'm on my way to worship and I can't get my hands dirty with this. Indifference, complacency, complacency, 
self-centeredness, laziness, whatever we want to put the word there, that is the reality if we're not careful. And so my prayer today is whatever has happened in this passage today, that God is speaking to us and he is beginning to awaken something in us that we want to live in his love and we want to share his love to others. And so as I bring this to a close today, have you allowed the love of Christ to touch your heart? Have you experienced it? Has it changed you? Has it transformed you? If it hasn't, then you can experience it here today, now. Do you love him? Have you expressed your love to him? Do you show your love to him? And more importantly, as we're emphasizing today, have you made his love visible to those around you, those in this community, those in your family. Someone said that the great question we will be asked when we see Jesus is not, do you love me? I see, I always thought that was the question, right? Do you love me? I mean, we know he had that dialogue with Peter, right? Do you love me? You know I love you, Lord. And so this person says, it's not that when I see Jesus face to face, that he's going to look at me and say, now, do you love me? What he's going to ask me is, did you know my love? Did you live in it? And did you share it? See, that changes everything. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. That changes everything that I have experienced and known his love, that it permeates my very being. And now when people, as the promise keeper said many years ago, when people rub me the wrong way, I splash Jesus on them. Because that's what Jesus would do. What do we have to do? It's not about doing it's not about going home and making a list of all the new things that I have to do. It is about experiencing his love in such a way that it begins to now flow out of you into the others around you. And when God shows you somebody or an issue or a need, you pray about how could you respond? How could you come alongside? As a church, as a board, we're praying and asking, how do we do this month? How have we showed the love of Christ this month as a church? Now, that's quantitative, and it's really about qualitative, but I think we do need to ask that question. Maybe a family. Wouldn't that be a great mission statement to put on their fridge? This family have experienced the love of Christ, therefore this family is going to share the love of Christ. And maybe once a week the family could say, how did we show the love of Christ this week? I think that could be changing, life-changing. Maybe as a couple... Maybe it could change a marriage. I believe so, because that is that power of the love of God. I believe that, that that can happen, and it can. Why do I believe that? Changed and transformed by the love of Christ. Changed and transformed by the love of Christ. This young girl that no matter how many people said to me that they loved me, I didn't feel the love, but I'll tell you that day when I bowed the knee and came to Christ, I know that I know that I know that I am loved. 
and I have experienced his love, and no matter what anyone says or does, it can never take that love away. And it has given me a purpose to live. It has redeemed my past, and it has given me hope for the future. It has been life-changing. Praise God for it. Now my heart is burdened because I want others to experience it. And I want to be an instrument of his love. I want to be so filled with his love. Isn't that a wonderful prayer every morning? Lord, fill me with your love. Yes, I want to experience your love. But why do we want to experience it? We want to experience that we can share the love of Christ amongst all people. I'm going to ask you to stand and put your masks on. If you can, if you're not comfortable singing with your mask, stay seated. We just want to be loving. This is a free place. This is a place of love. If you're comfortable with singing this song with your mask on, you can stand. And, and I want you to come forward today if God has been speaking to you. I want you to come forward, socially distance, and, and we're going to sing this song, The Power of God's Love. And I believe this church and even the church board can only see this become a reality as more and more people in this church say, this is my call too. I have experienced the agape of God. I have lived in that, and now I want others to know his unconditional love. If you're a person today who says, you know, pastor, I want to move in the power of his love into West Prince. I want to see my family come to Christ. I want to see my grandkids come to Christ. I want to see my workmates, my schoolmates, my neighbors come to Christ. And I want to be filled with his love in such a way that they can see and experience the power of his love. Then I challenge you today to come forward and let's pray together. Let's sing this song.